Good morning. There's one further announcement that I'd like to draw your attention to before I begin this morning, just to highlight it for you. The Clarny Palliative Care Committee is inviting people to take part in their memory tree. Now, those of you who are not familiar with the memory tree, it is the tree that is lit outside of Bayside Personal Care Home with each light symbolizing someone who has passed away, that it is done in memory of them. And so this time of year, we want to remember that though Christmas is often a time of celebration and coming together for many people, it is a time of heartache, a time of remembering loved ones who have been lost, and so we want to give, give the opportunity to remember them as well. And so how you can take part in the Tree of Light's memory tree is you can make a $5 donation to the Tri-Lake Health Center in memory of a loved one who has passed away. This doesn't necessarily have to be someone who has been in Bayside or in the hospital, but anyone who you have lost in your life that you would like to honor their memory, you can make a $5 donation. We have made it very easy for you to take part in this. You don't have to go down to the hospital. We have a box placed at the back of the church. And if you would like to place your donation into the box, you can write the name down of who uh, you would like to make the donation in memory of on the sheet at the back, and you can participate in the Tree of Lights memory tree. Also, the tree lighting service will take place on December 3rd at 7 p.m. That information is in your bulletin, so I'd really encourage you to come It is a special time. It's a short service. We light the tree. We sing some carols together. And it's also followed by refreshments. So please mark that on your calendars. Um, It's a very meaningful time for everyone who joins us. So you're welcome to attend there. Well, this morning we are going to be looking at a very familiar passage, John chapter 14. And so before we do that, would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all of the praise and thanks for what you have already been doing in our hearts in this worship service. Lord, we sense a very real awareness of your presence here with us, that, Lord, we know that you delight in the praises of your people, that where we are worshiping you in spirit and in truth, there you delight to make your presence known to us and to pour out your blessing in return, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that in this attitude of worship that you would have already been cultivating our hearts, Lord, to be receptive to your word, that we would be prepared to hear from you, that your seed, your word, would find soil that is ready to receive it. Lord Jesus, we pray that in this time we would see your face, that we would see you as the beautiful Lord and Savior that you are, And what that means, Lord, in our lives personally, that you have said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And so, Jesus, we ask that this morning you would show us a little bit more of what it looks like to be your friend, to walk with you daily. Bless this word, I pray. May it be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Begin with a story this morning of a missionary who lived in Africa in a very remote remote mission station. And at this remote mission station, all they had to power the few electrical devices they had was a small generator. Now, one day, some natives, some African natives from a very remote tribe came to visit the missionary at his mission station. They immediately 
were taken captive by the single bare light bulb that hung from the center of his small house. There it was, hanging there. They'd never seen one before, and it was glowing with its electrical current. They were fascinated by it. They stood and stared, gawking at it for minutes on end, never having seen one before. They stood transfixed, memorized, mesmerized, as he would flip the switch off, the light would go out. They'd flip the switch back on, the light would go back on. They had never seen something so magical in all of their existence. Finally, after some time of this, one of the natives indicated that he would like to have one of these light bulbs for himself. And so the missionary, thinking that he perhaps wanted it for some sort of a trinket, he gave him one of the extra light bulbs. Well, it was quite some time later, and the missionary visited this remote tribe. Upon entering their village, he was immediately stopped and confronted by a very, very angry African native man. Well, this would be intimidating at the best of times, but now we see that the startled missionary recognized the man was the one he had given the light bulb to many months before. Trying to understand why it was that the man was so angry and what he was saying, the language barrier prevented the missionary from being able to properly understand what had this man so worked up. And there were weapons around, and and he was afraid that things could turn ugly in a moment's notice. And he's just desperate to figure out why this man was so angry. And finally, this crowd has just, everyone in the village is surrounding them as this man is berating him. And finally, he says, come with me. And he follows the man to his hut. The crowd gathers around. The missionary's heart is pounding in his chest. What is he going to encounter inside this man's hut? Imagine his surprise when entering the hut, he discovered what the fuss was all about. There inside, dangling from the thatched roof by an ordinary string, was the light bulb. And guess what? It wasn't working. Quite simply... The man was angry because he believed that the missionary had intentionally given him a broken light. It wasn't working, and he was upset because he believed that by being given the light bulb, that was all he needed to generate the same light that he had seen in the missionary's hut many months earlier. Of course, the missionary, being relieved that this is all it was, went on to try his best to explain to a tribal people the concepts of electricity and conductivity and how the bulb needed to be connected to an outlet to receive the current, and, well, it didn't go very far. But we see here a very important truth out of this story. Connection is the key. Connection is the key. I want you to remember that this morning as we continue through this teaching. Remove a light bulb from the outlet and what happens? We all know. It's simple to us. We've had them our entire lives. You remove the light bulb from the outlet, it can't do its intended purpose, which is shine, right? A light bulb's sole purpose in life is to shine. If it is not shining, it is not doing what it was intended to do. Remove it from the source of its power and it's useless. Now, of course, we may share an understanding smile at the simplicity of a remote African tribe, not understanding. But though we may have a better grasp of electricity, though we may have a better understanding of electrical current and conductivity and the the necessity of, of all of these things working together in tandem for the light to be produced in that light bulb, we may grasp this quite well, 
I suspect that many of us, many of us, are about at the same level of understanding as that African tribe when it comes to the necessity of being connected to Christ to have a power-filled Christian life, one that shines. I believe that we are at about the level, very often in our lives, of that African tribe when we understand, when it comes to understanding, what it means to be connected to Christ, to abide in Him. Because, just like a light bulb's sole purpose is to shine, so the sole purpose of the Christian life is to shine for Christ, is to produce much fruit for God's glory. And so, without His power, we can do nothing as we will soon see. In our text for today from John chapter 15, I invite you to open your Bibles there, please, if you have them. And once again, if you don't have them, why not? Bring your Bibles to church with you. Turn with me, John chapter 15. Jesus teaches us here the importance of our connection to the true source of life and power. He uses the analogy of a grape vineyard, something that was very common in the region of Palestine at the time, and still is to this very day. He uses this analogy of a vineyard, and particularly the grape vine, to demonstrate a simple yet profoundly important truth. Let's read the words again so they're fresh in our mind, beginning in verse 1. Listen to the words of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just as the electricity provides the power necessary for the bulb to produce light, so the vine provides the nourishment that is necessary for the branch to produce fruit. So what, or rather whom, is the power source for the Christian life? Sunday school answer time, someone give it to me. Jesus, right? Even the toddlers would have got that one, right? When in doubt, the answer is Jesus. This is one of the most simple yet important truths in all of, all of Scripture and for the Christian life. We must abide in the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. This is so essential to all Christian life and activity that if you miss this, you may as well just forget about everything else. I'm I'm not even kidding. I, I don't believe I can overstate the importance of this teaching. It is so vital that your entire life hinges on whether or not you get this, and more importantly, whether you live this out. Because if you get this, if you live this out, listen to me, this is what's going to happen. You will have a life of spiritual vitality. You will have a life of purpose, one that is going to get you out of bed in the morning with excitement, enthusiastic about the life that God has given you and the things he has given you the opportunity to be a a part of. 
You are going to have a life that is filled to the brim with fulfilling service for the Lord. One that will be renewed by his presence day by day by day. One that won't grow weary or wear out with the passage of time. A life that will be measured not by the number of years you've lived, but by the number of people you have impacted with the love of God for the kingdom. That is the kind of life you will live if you get this important truth. But on the other side of this, if you miss this, then the opposite will happen. You will find yourself striving and straining but getting nowhere. You will be unsatisfied. Even with a life filled with all sorts of activity, even with a life filled with all sorts of church involvement, you will find yourself wondering, what's the point? Why am I doing all of this? Why am I so busy? Why am I running from here to there? Why am I involved in all these all these meetings, and why am I doing what I'm doing? And as you, you get busier and busier, you'll find yourself like a hamster in a treadwheel, and you'll wonder, what's it going to take for me to get out of this? Because it feels like I'm going as fast as I can and getting nowhere. You'll find yourself frustrated, on the verge of burnout. You will eventually find yourself weary, the kind of weariness that goes beyond physical exhaustion, the kind of weariness that is a soul weariness. It sinks right in and it permeates every part of your life. This is what will happen if you don't get this. And the end result can even become bitterness towards God. Bitterness that you've spent so much of your life serving Him, and yet you have so little to show for it. And why aren't I happy? Why, deep down, do I feel so bitter, so burnt out, so alone? So what's the difference between these two paths, the one that looks bright and promising and the one that that ends in bitterness and burnout? What's the difference? Connection. Connection is the difference. You see, if the branch is connected to the vine, it will not only live, but it will produce, right? It will do its intended purpose, which is produce fruit because it is connected to the life source. And it can continue to produce fruit indefinitely. It doesn't just have one harvest. It has many harvests. It can year to year, season to season, continue to do incredible things because it's connected to the vine. Sever the vine, however. Pardon me. Sever the branch from the vine. And what happens? Allow me to demonstrate something you've all seen before. Men, do you recognize these? (laughs) These are those flowers that you spend a bunch of money on to make your wife happy. To see that smile on her face, to, to, to hear her say, thanks, honey. And these are the things that men will spend a lot of money on. I've spent some money on, I won't say a lot of money on these, but I spent some money on these about... Two weeks ago, actually a little less than two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I spent some good hard-earned money to give them to my wife. Yes, I'm tooting my own horn here a little bit, but follow along with me. So, I I bought these for Leanne about a little less than two weeks ago, and they looked beautiful. They They were nice and lovely and fresh. And, in fact, I, when I was preparing for this sermon, was thinking about bringing these up front 
And so it was about on Tuesday or Wednesday where they were already starting to look pretty wilted to the point where I said to Leanne, Leanne, don't throw these flowers out before Sunday. And she asked why, and I said, it'll all make sense. You see, what we have here is a living demonstration of what happens when we are disconnected from the vine. These not too long ago were connected to a, to a plant, to a rose bush of some form, I have no idea where, but they imported them to co-op, and somewhere along the line they were severed from their life source. And so what do we do? We try to sustain that life as long as possible. They send these little sugar packs that come with, and you dump them in the water, and it's supposed to add a little extra nutrients, and you try to keep them going and looking good for just a little bit longer. But what's the end result? They die. They wilt, and they die. And eventually, they get thrown in the trash. Then, of course, men, what do we have to do? Buy them again. <laughs> right? They've got us cornered here. There's, there's, no, there's no hope for us. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 14, verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such a branch is picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Sounds an awful lot like what's going to happen to these flowers immediately after this sermon. Garbage can. They have served their purpose. There is no life left. They were once beautiful, but once severed from the vine... They cannot continue to bloom. They will only wilt and die. It is the only possible path for them. And so, let me get right down to what Jesus is saying here. Without Jesus, and without remaining in Jesus, this is what happens to us. We can start out spiritually vital, healthy, producing, But once we are severed from him, we may look good for a week or two. We may add some nutrients to try to keep us going a little bit longer. But eventually, this is what's going to happen to us. We are going to wilt, we are going to die, and eventually we're going to be useless. This is what happens to us. Now hear this. Work done for Jesus, without Jesus, is futile. Work done for Jesus without Jesus is utterly futile. If you remember one thing from the sermon this morning, I want you to remember this. If you're working for Jesus without his presence in your life, this is where you're headed. You are headed for burnout. You are headed for completely just falling apart to the point of where you've got nothing left to give because you're not connected. And if you don't believe me, the results speak for themselves. As we look across Christendom in Canada today, we look at the church, we look right here in our own communities, and if we're really honest, we look right down in our own hearts. We see this to be true. We see, yes, some small pockets of growth and fruit, but overall, the church in Canada has been in a long, steady decline for the last two decades, both spiritually and then numerically. You see, most often we measure these things by numbers, but usually when the numbers start diminishing, it's because there's been a spiritual issue that has been festering for some time first. And I believe that spiritual issue that's been festering, that's resulting in the numbers declining across the board of the church in Canada and across the West, for that matter, is that we have become severed from the vine. 
We are not abiding daily in Jesus Christ. You see, the big problem is too many Christians are trying to serve God in the power of their own human flesh rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit working within them. Now, just to be clear here, what Jesus is primarily talking about in this passage is not about salvation, but about producing fruit that will last for God's kingdom. I want you to remember who Jesus' audience is here. He is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking principally to those who have already put their faith in him. We see this in verse 3 where Jesus says to them, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So now, here we see that he's speaking to those he already says are clean, and then continuing in verse 4, he says to them, already clean, already saved, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you, speaking to the believer, neither can you bear fruit unless, what? Unless you remain in me. We must understand here that Jesus is not teaching a works-based salvation. Rather, he is saying to those who are already saved through faith to now remain in his presence, abide in him, stay connected to him in order that our lives can produce much fruit. But now if salvation, on the other hand, if salvation is not what Jesus is talking about, what do we make of verse 6? Did you look at verse 6? Have you ever puzzled about verse 6? Let's hear it again. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, if we're the branch and we're getting picked up and thrown in the fire and burned, that might sound like salvation is on the line here, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like judgment. Well, you're correct in that it is a form of judgment, but it's not of the heaven and hell variety, at least not necessarily. Jesus is principally talking here about works done for the kingdom, bearing fruit that will last, speaking to believers. And so here we see that the type of judgment he is talking about is not the heaven and hell variety, but the judgment that believers will receive as to whether or not they have any rewards waiting for them in heaven. You see, what many Christians often fail to realize is that they too will have to give an account of their lives before God in heaven. Not to determine whether or not they get in, but to determine their reward and their place in heaven. Romans 14, verse 12, speaking to believers, Paul writes, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 16. Here, Paul gives the most comprehensive teaching to understand for the believer what is at stake. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, 
but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The teaching is clear. There are too many people who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation. They've trusted in him, they've received his grace, but there's too many of them who then in their spirits say to him, I've got things under control from here, I'll call you if I need you. Have you ever done that before? Jesus, I need you for salvation, but now that I'm in and I'm going to heaven, I've got the rest. I've got the energy, I've got the willingness, I've got the smarts, I don't really need you from here on in. And what we're doing when we say that is that we're going to build on our own, and that means we're building with the three materials Paul lists, wood, hay, and stubble. And how do those things stand up to fire? When Jesus says that those who try to work apart from him will be like dead branches picked up and burned in the fire, those are all of the works of our lives that were done apart from him. Those are the things that are going to be vaporized as though they were nothing. Because that's really what they are. Nothing. The builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Hear me this morning. If you are living the Christian life apart from a daily connection with Jesus, then you are building with wood, hay, and stubble. But... When you live in daily connection with Jesus, with the life source, abiding in him, listening to him, talking to him, walking with him, then you are building with things that can last through the fire. Gold, silver, costly stones. These are the things that can endure and that will be rewarded one day to you personally by Jesus Christ himself. You personally will receive your reward from your Lord and Savior. Doesn't that just do something inside of you? This isn't, this isn't abstract, my friends. This is as personal and individualized as it gets. Jesus is going to personally be the one reviewing your life, what you have done, whether good or bad, and he is going to be the one administering the rewards that are going to last forever. Whew. Doesn't that just do something inside of you? When you think about your life in the here and now, Jesus is going to be the one who's going to be talking to you all about it. Gives me a little edge of fear and yet a little edge of anticipation. What am I doing with my life that is building with gold, silver, and precious stones? What are the things that are going to last that Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? You have been faithful. You have abided in me. You have been doing what I wanted you to do in my power, and it's going to last forever. This will never be taken from you. What are those things? Think about that this morning as you hear God's word for yourself. But I want you to hear again the alternative, as Jesus made painfully, painfully clear. Apart from connection to him, we can do nothing. Nada. Nusht. There is nothing in our lives that will last beyond this life in our own strength. No matter how nice of a building you build with wood, fire will always take it down, won't it? I'm sorry to say that, contractors who are building everything with wood. But when the fire comes through, it's not going to last. It's only things that are made that can endure the fire that are going to last for eternity. You see, we can't just do fewer things without Jesus. 
We can do nothing without Jesus. Like the farmer is completely dependent on the rain to come, the sun to shine, so too we are utterly, hopelessly dependent on him. I want you to hear this. I'm sure the farmers are going to love this. And this is probably old, old information. So Roy or any other farmer who wants to correct me on the data here, feel free to talk to me afterwards. But this is what I read. A number of years ago, the Associated Press released this study done by an agricultural school in Iowa which attempted to calculate the precise amounts of every single ingredient necessary for the production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land. All right? Everyone have an idea roughly in your head of what one acre looks like? It's not as big as you think. You know, an acre of land, okay? What is necessary to produce 100 bushels to the acre corn for one acre? These are the numbers that they came up with. They are quite revealing. In addition to the many basic elements that were too numerous to list, one acre of 100 bushel corn required 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, 125 pounds of potassium, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, and 4 million pounds of water. In addition to all of these ingredients, the report also emphasized that the precise timing of the rain and the sunshine were also critical factors to the production of the crop. In their final analysis, it was estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm can be attributed to the efforts of the farmer. 5% was attributed to the effort and the skill of the farmer. Farmers, when you hear that, isn't that just a little bit humbling? (laughs) Just a little bit? You know, like, yes, you have effect on it. Yes, you have to do the work. But in the end of the the analysis, the produce, the production, you have so little say over. It's humbling. The yield depends so much on God's blessing and working through the processes. And it's the exact same for me. You see, I'm a farmer, too, just of a different variety. Yes, I left the farm and I came to the pulpit, but it's a lot the same. Because you see, for every single word that I have ever spoken from this pulpit, or will ever speak from this pulpit, I am utterly dependent on God to take that word and to do something in your life. That's it. I I sow the seed, and that's it. I can't do anything beyond that. This is all I can do. Like the farmer, I am utterly dependent on God. He has to do the work that I can't do. I can sow the seed, yes. I can fertilize and do all of those things right. But he's got to add the increase. So too in the spiritual realm of all of our lives. You don't have to be a pastor for this to hold true for you. Whatever you do for God, you are dependent on him to add his blessing to produce the crop. That we can bear much fruit. But now here's the thing. Because most of us already know this exact principle. We've heard it before. You've heard it preached before. You've heard it taught before. It's so familiar to us that we almost check it off in our minds. We almost dismiss it and just say, yeah, I'm already doing that. But I want to ask you this morning, are we really? Are we really abiding in Jesus Christ? And because we're so familiar with this, that we're We're hypersensitive to bearing fruit with our lives. We want to produce fruit with our lives. We want to have things to show God on that last day. And in the meantime, we really want immediate results right now, today. 
We're an instant results society. If we don't have them today, we wonder what's wrong. And so we're so desperate to have something to show for it that even without being connected to Christ, we want to have fruit to show for it. So what do we do? We fake it. We fake a connection to Christ. And we can get really good at it. Let me show you something. Which ones look better? These guys over here, did you see the petals falling off as I was talking? Like, they're, they're literally dying in front of our eyes. This is, this is palliative rose care right here. I'm not kidding. Like, these are dying as we speak. There's still a little bit of life there, but look at this. Now, over here, these, these look a little bit better. They look, you know, there's color. They're not wilted over. From a distance, you might even be tricked from the back row to think that these are real. But they're not. These are as fake as they get. They're, they're plastic and paper. Maybe some wire in the stem. They're fake. How often don't we do the same thing as Christians? We look good from the outside, from a distance. Hey, great spiritual, Jesus-filled Christian abiding in Him. And we're as fake as these flowers. We're not abiding. And we want to have something to show for our lives. And so we put on a smile. And we go through the motions. And we go to church and we do all of this stuff. But inside, we're dying just like these roses. We're not connected to Jesus. And in the end of the day... What happens to fake flowers when they meet the fire, when they meet the judgment? They're going to be exposed for what they really are. Frauds, wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be consumed. It is only through our connection to Jesus Christ, abiding in him, my friends, that we can live. And you've been looking at it all along here this morning. Look right in front of the pulpit. What's that? That's an orchid. It's a beautiful flower. One of the nicest things about it, once you can accept it, is it requires very little water. Very little. You give it too much water and you'll kill it. Only needs just a little bit of water every two or three weeks. And yet, it blooms beautifully for months on end. And you know what? There's nothing fake about it. It is real. It is alive. It is connected to the vine. And this thing, once it stops blooming, if we treat it right over the winter, guess what? Next spring, it's going to bloom again. And there's going to be more flowers next year from the same plant connected to the same vine. That is life, my friends. This is what the Christian life is intended to look like when we remain connected to Jesus. Our lives can not only produce fruit once, but again and again and again as we remain connected to him. So let me ask you this morning a very personal question. Have you been faking it? I'm not talking for your entire life, but just ever. Have you ever faked it? Have you ever tried coming off as being a little more spiritually connected than you really were in the moment? Guilty. You know what? It's probably the biggest temptation for us as pastors is because everyone looks at us and says, well, you've got to be spiritually connected. 100% of the time, you're preaching God's word, and yet we struggle too. 
And yet the expectation is we've got to be so connected to God all the time and we get good at looking like we always are. And yet I struggle on days where I feel dry. And Jesus reminds me, Danny, get connected. Walk with me. Talk with me. Abide in me. That is where your power comes from. In yourself, you can do nothing. And so let me tell you today, if you've got a life filled with activity, with all sorts of good Christian things that you think look good from the outside, that God's going to be happy with, but you're doing them in your own strength, do yourself a favor and stop trying. Stop burning yourself out, running yourself ragged, going through the motions. Stop producing fake fruit and just get back to the vine. Get back to the vine. There's too much hanging in the balance here to to walk another hour of this day apart from Jesus Christ. It is only in the practice of a daily abiding presence, walking with Jesus, that we can do anything of lasting value in this life as Christians. So are you connected today? Are you walking with Jesus? Let me just give you a couple of practical examples of that. Are you talking to him? I, I know it seems simple, but are you? Do you talk to Jesus every day? I I always love it, and I was sorry to hear about Barb's condition this morning. I hadn't heard about this recently, but I love it when Barb says to me, she's like, if someone came to my house during the day, especially after I first became a believer, they'd think I was crazy because I'm talking to Jesus as I do my chores in the house. (laughs) I hope she forgives me for sharing that story, but for me, it just, it was a beautiful expression of what it means to live with Jesus daily. That you could be doing your chores in the house and you could talk to him. He is a friend. He is near. Why not talk to him? And secondly, are you listening to him? Are you carving out places in your life where there is stillness? Where there is quiet? Where you can hear Jesus' voice? Because when our lives are going 150 mile an hour in all directions all the time, where are we going to hear that still small whisper? We need to carve out intentional time to be with Jesus, just to listen to him, just to soak in his presence, to let you know that he is there, that he's in control of your life, and that as you follow him, he will take your life and do great things with it. So do that. Talk to him. Listen to him. And then finally, walk with him. So much of Jesus' ministry was just walking through the hillside of Galilee. And his disciples did what? They just walked with him. All of their activities of the day, they'd converse as they went, they would, they would talk, they would share, he would teach them life lessons along the way. When you leave here today, don't leave Jesus sitting in the pew next to you. All right, In your mind's eye, if Jesus is sitting next to you in your pew, and you get up and you walk out the door, don't visualize Jesus as staying in the church and you come back to talk to him next Sunday. I want you to visualize in your mind's eye as you get up out of here, Jesus is walking right beside you out that door. He's getting in the car with you. He's going home with you. He's going to work with you. He's going to whatever circumstances you're facing this week. Jesus is walking with you. Let us walk with him every single day. Cultivate an awareness that Jesus is with you wherever you go. And you will be abiding in him, working in him. This is what it means, and so much more. I could go on, but I'm going to leave it at that. Today, let me just encourage you. If you feel like you've been faking it, you've been disconnected from Jesus, and those symptoms I described earlier about being bitter and burnt out are applying to you, I want you to just quiet your heart right now, close your eyes if you have to, and just hear Jesus speak these words to you.
personally. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle. I am humble in spirit and heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've ever doubted it for even an instant, let me just tell you today, Jesus loves you. Return to him. Jesus loves you. Abide in him. Jesus loves you. Remain connected to him every moment of every day. And your lives will grow and produce much fruit for God's glory. Fruit that will last. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us to empower us even now. And so we simply ask, Lord, that as we go from here, we would not leave you sitting in the pew next to us, but that we would have a very real sense of you walking alongside us day by day in every situation of every moment. Help our lives to reflect that reality, Lord, of being connected to you, that our lives wouldn't just have this this phony, fake fruit to show for it, but that it would have real fruit, lasting fruit, to show for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.